You are listening to audio from Redeemer Church in Tomball, Texas. To find out more information about our church, visit us at makingmuchofjesus.org. Well, good morning. It's so good to see you. I ask you to please turn in your Bibles or your device to Matthew chapter 1. It's the first book in the New Testament. And today we begin our series through the gospel according to Matthew. And it's a great time to start the book of Matthew for a few reasons. One, it's, it's Christmas time. And we are in the thick of Advent where we remember the birth of Jesus. And it, the Advent also reminds us of that Christ, that Jesus, he will return again. And so we are always to remember the teachings of Jesus and the death and resurrection and what Jesus did for us sinners and make him known until he returns. So it's a good time to dive into Matthew. And secondly, I think all of us, we could all be more familiar with Jesus himself. I grew up in church. I loved going to church as a kid. I call myself a pew rat. I grew up eating goldfish and gummy bears embedded in church carpet. And I read parts of the Bible growing up, high school and college. But if I look back on those years, I I mostly read the Bible to win arguments with people that I was arguing theology with. For years, I could argue Reformed theology and argue different doctrinal points. But then it struck me one day that I call myself a Christian, and yet I don't think I've read an entire gospel the whole way through. And I was a Christian that only knew one thing about Christ, that he saved me from my sins. And that is a great thing to know. That is what we need to know. But also at the same time, beloved, there is more to enjoy and more to know and more to love about Jesus, the man, the person, the God-man. So I don't want us to be the kind of Christians that we know a few Christian-y things. We need to be the kind of Christians that we know Christ and the power of his resurrection. We know him, the person, the God-man, the risen king. And that's what I hope we'll discover as we go through the Gospel of Matthew over these next few months, is that we'll know and we'll grow and our understanding of what makes Jesus tick. What, what, what does Jesus think? What, what does he command? What does he feel? What does he promise? And what does he offer broken down sinners like us who our spiritual bank accounts are the equivalent of having moths and lint in our pockets? So we begin with the first gospel of Matthew, first book in the New Testament, the bridge from the old to the new and Matthew's account of Jesus Christ, the son of David, son of Abraham. So as we do every week, if you're able, let's stand together for the reading of God's word. And we'll begin in verse one. Follow along on your phone or in your scripture. An account of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham, you know, instead of reading it, reading all these names, thought it'd be fun to have Kevin and the band sing them like they do every year at the Behold the Lamb of God concert. So if you missed it this year, this is one of the songs. It's called Matthew's Begats. And so why not hear it today? The words will be on the screen. You can follow along and you should sing along if you're able, which I think you'll be able to. They do a great job. So let's let's listen to the word of God. I'm going to step away and turn my mic off. So. All right, now we get to work on our name pronunciation. Here we go.
Abraham had Isaac, Isaac he had Jacob, Jacob he had Judah and his kin. Then Perez and Sarah came from Judah's woman Tamar, Perez he brought Hezron up and then came Aram and Benadab and Nashinu was then the death of Salmon, who was Rahab's father Boaz. Rushi married Boaz, who had Obed, who had Jesse. Jesse was the man who we know as king. Hey, David, he had Solomon, black hair, and your mind is white. Solomon, well, you all know him. He had the glory of Lord, followed by Elijah, Asa. Asa had Jehoshaphat, had Joram, and Isaiah, who had Jotham, and Ahaz. Hezekiah, followed by Manasseh, who had Amen, who was Amen, who was father of a good boy named Josiah, who grandfathered Jehoiakim, who caused the Babylonian captivity, because he was a liar, which isn't really true, but it rhymes. Then he actually out who began to rebel. Verse 17. <laughs> so all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations. And from David until the exile to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the exile to Babylon until the Messiah, the Christ, 14 generations. You may be seated. Lists like this or any list in particular, these aren't usually the kinds of writing that make you feel all the feels. Grocery lists, lists of to-dos, Amazon wish lists, Christmas lists, things you get done, you scratch off, and then you forget them. But there are some lists we love. Ten best movies of the year. Best books of 2018. Three ways to get rid of that muffin top one week before <laughs> summer. Five easy steps to get your kids to do the homework, go to bed on time, stay in bed, and wake up happy and make their own lunch. That one does not exist. And Matthew begins with a list of names, a genealogy. And I know that at first glance and even hearing the song, um, it doesn't seem terribly exciting to us. Not a terribly exciting part of the scriptures. We just want some truth. We want some application. Let's hit it. And we're going to get there. But understand, the genealogies in the Old and in the New Testament, they meant a lot to the Jewish people. And that's exactly who Matthew wrote this book of the Bible to. A lot of scholars think he was writing to a group of Jewish Christians to encourage them how to follow the Messiah that they've been waiting for in Christ. And that at the same time, while he's writing to already established Jewish Christians, that he's also writing to a group of Jews who are maybe skeptical, maybe leaning into, is Jesus really the Messiah that we've been waiting for? And genealogies matter to these ancient people 
because it connects them to their history. It connects them to their past. This is, this is who we are. And that's just, really, it's the same reason why there is the arrival of websites like 23andMe and Ancestry.com. We want to know the same thing. Who are we? Who are we connected to? Where do I come from? How much Neanderthal is in me? So for Matthew, he opens up his gospel to introduce us to Jesus of Nazareth. He begins there. This is who he is, and this is where he is from. And before we can dive into this book, there's one thing, key thing, listen, that you've got to understand or you will get confused along the way. The word gospel is used two ways when we talk about the gospel of Matthew or any, anything in the scriptures, really. Gospel uppercase, big G, means the book's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the literary genre of the gospel, the accounts of Jesus. Those are the gospels. But the gospel lowercase g, baby g, lowercase g means the news, the message of Jesus' death and resurrection to save sinners by grace alone, through faith alone, in him alone. It's the same word in Greek, but we use it those two ways. So don't get them confused. Because if I said there's only one gospel and it's told in four gospels. Like, what are you talking about? That, one message, and it's highlighted for us in four different kinds of books. So as we begin our expository journey, this Oregon trail through Matthew, which we will all make it. None of us will die of dysentery along the way. I want you to know this about your Bible because your, your Bible is a gift from God. And here's what you should know about the Gospel of Matthew as we dive in. There is nothing like the four Gospels in all of Greco-Roman literature. Nothing like them. Matthew isn't a biography. There are biographies. This is not just a biography. Alexander the Great has a biography written about him. Great military hero in Rome to them. But in his biography, there is no charge to worship Alexander the Great. There is no admonition to see Alexander the Great as the ruler of space and time. And I, I read this year, Shoe Dog by Phil Knight, the founder of Nike. And at the end of that book, there are no final words about Phil Knight being with me always until the end of the age. So Matthew is not just a biography. Matthew is not just a collection of sermons. It's not a collection of theological words and treatises. It's not a mere political statement. Matthew is all of these things. It's part biography, part resume, part collected teachings, part collected works, part theology training, part political statements, and by part call to worship and discipleship and to mission to carry the name of Jesus of Nazareth to the ends of the earth. And the reason why I say that it is a part political statement is because the word gospel, good news, was used by Rome and Caesar as political propaganda for when their heir was born. Good news, Rome. The heir is born. The new, the new ruler, the next in line, has arrived. There is someone to come after Tiberius. There is a new ruler now in the line of Augustus. So when Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and Peter, and James, and Paul, when they grab this word gospel and they say, we have a gospel to make known, you know what they're saying? They're making a political statement too. The next ruler in line is here. Scoot over, Caesar. 
The next ruler in line is here, and his name is Jesus, and his kingdom is here. Scooch over, Rome. His kingdom is here. Scooch over, United States of America. The kingdom is here. Scoot over, Lucifer. And here's who Jesus is. Verse 1. An account of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, son of Abraham. We're only going to focus on the words and really verse 1. We'll dive in a little bit throughout the genealogy, but this is where we're going to hang out. In Greek, the first two words in the Greek New Testament of Matthew chapter 1, verse 1 are this. Book Genesis. That is Matthew's first two words. So when Matthew begins with those words, book Genesis, Jesus, Messiah, He is setting the stage for the rest of the book because by the time Matthew is writing this book, the first book of the Old Testament, Genesis, that was its name already at this time in the Septuagint, in the Greek Old Testament. So when he tells readers and listeners of the Old Testament, his time, I have a Genesis to tell you about, a Genesis of Jesus, the Messiah. You know what he's telling us? The Old Testament Genesis told us about God creating the world. This New Testament Genesis, I'm going to tell you about God stepping into the world and about God bringing a new world. Old Testament Genesis, you learned about Adam and how everything fell apart. But in this New Testament Genesis, I'm going to tell you about this second Adam who is going to make everything right. And in fact, beloved, the Gospel of Matthew can be broken down into five sections Five major teaching blocks of Jesus along the way. He teaches, he does miracles, healings. He teaches, does miracles, healings. It goes on in these five sections, corresponding with the five first books of the Old Testament. That's what Matthew's showing us. That Jesus is the fulfillment of the Torah. Everything that they experience, Jesus says, I have come to bring to completion and to fruition. That's one reason why I wanted us to go from Exodus to Matthew. Because because Matthew gives us a picture of Jesus as the fulfillment of Exodus, as the true light of Exodus. Remember Pharaoh tries to kill all the Hebrew children? What happens in Jesus' birth? Herod tries to have him killed. The Israelites are brought out of Egypt back in Exodus. Where did Jesus go when he was being hunted? To Egypt. And then he comes out of Egypt, as the scriptures say. Out of Egypt I called my son. Moses goes up to give a law from the mountain. Jesus goes up and he gives his sermon on the mount. The people walk through the Red Sea and then they are tempted for 40 years in their wilderness wanderings. Jesus goes through baptism there with the prophet John the Baptist in Matthew 3. Then in Matthew 4, he is tempted for 40 days in the wilderness by Satan. Then Jesus will be offered up on Passover, day of atonement to fulfill Leviticus. And then he rises from the dead and gives a final commission, a final call and ascends to the Father's right hand, fulfilling the teachings of Numbers and Deuteronomy. See, beloved, Jesus is the invading of a new world, a longed for hope and a promise of God that someone would come and defeat Satan, sin, and the dark powers of the age and set God's people free and so meet the Messiah King. This is what Matthew's all about. Meet the Messiah King. And this is where we begin, where he calls him Christ or Messiah. And this is the message that we learn from this is that Jesus sets sinners free. Look at verse one again. So the Genesis, 
the account, the book of the Genesis, the genealogy of Jesus Christ. So Christ isn't Jesus's last name. We've got to know that. It's a title. It's Messiah, the anointed one, a savior, the one who's come to help God's people. And I don't know, I don't know how you manage your life and I don't know if you've ever run out of gas on the side of the road before. I've rolled into a gas station on empty, singing the hallelujah chorus right up to that pump. But one time my dear wife, Natalie, ran out of gas. There's been multiple times, but this one in particular. (laughs) She ran out of gas over by the Starbucks in Tomball. And I was about two blocks away, or she was two blocks away from the gas station. I was at the church office and it was the middle of July and she's pregnant. So she calls me, I ran out of gas. I rush over there, help's on the way, Calvary's here, I'm gonna fix it. I get over there and her car is so hot. Her Ford Flex at this time is so hot. I can't even put my hands on it to try to push it. So, you know, good thing I just have such a svelte body. I took off my top shirt Thankful I had an undershirt on underneath. Took off my top shirt and just put it on the back of the car. And I try to start pushing the car. And I'm wearing shoes much like these. They just have a flat bottom, dress shoes. And so I turn into a Looney Tunes character and can get no traction. As I start pushing, my feet just keep going back away from me. And I'm sitting there, how am I going to move this? I said, Nat, you just go sit in my truck, sit in the AC. I'll figure something out. And as I'm sitting there, there's a guy, an older Hispanic man, mowing the grass, I thought maybe he could help me push it. And I, I try to like wave him over. He's on a riding lawnmower and I wave to him. He just comes over on the riding lawnmower, rope in hand, ties it to his lawnmower, ties it to the Ford Flex. And in that jalopy lawnmower, he pulls me in that Ford Flex all the way to the gas station in the sight of the world. And I look over and there's Natalie cracking up in the truck, taking pictures, and I'm sure we'll post it later today. That man brought help from an unexpected place. Listen, Israel at this time, around the birth of Christ, is a broken down Ford Flex on the side of the road. The last time they heard from God was 400 years ago. 400 years happens from the end of Malachi to an angel announcing on a Galilean hillside, born to you this day, and telling Joseph, don't be afraid for the, the baby in Mary's womb is from the Holy Spirit. And Mary, you're going to have a baby from the Holy Spirit. They are occupied by Rome. Not a good situation. They're to be free. They have failed coup after coup. They need their Messiah. They need the one that would free them from oppression, the one who would overturn all darkness and evil, the one who would be God in flesh. And Matthew says, he's here and it's Jesus. And there is no doubt that some of us today, we are broken down for flex on the side of the road. That 2018 has not, not worked out the way we thought it would that we need someone to set us free from our sins, that we need someone who will overturn the evil in our life, that we need someone that will give us a hope that will not just get us through to the end of 18, that will not get us through to 2019, that will be our everlasting hope 10 billion years from today. And that's what we find in Christ. 
That's the good news of Christmas, that at Christmas, Jesus came to set you free from all the things that hold you down, that keep you from being what God originally created you to be. The Messiah came to untie all the knots of sin in your life by him being wrapped up in them on the cross and by him dying for them and him rising again from the dead so that you would see and believe and experience that the punishment for your sin has already happened. And what every Christian must believe anew again at Christmas is that the punishment for all my sins has already occurred. Every ounce, every drop, because Jesus came to do that very thing. Jesus came at Christmas not just to give us warm, cozy feelings, but so that blood would be spilled, so that he would be nailed to a cross, and so that he would rise from the dead, and that any person that believes in him, he will be their Messiah because he is the son of God. Now that's one title that's mentioned throughout the gospel of Matthew, but we don't see it here. We see Christ, son of David, son of Abraham, but it's there. You just got to see it with the eyes of faith. Look at verse 16. You see all these fathered Abraham, fathered Isaac, Isaac fathered Jacob. And we, we heard this, we sang this 16. Jacob fathered Joseph. What I want to sing this twice. He's the husband of Mary who gave birth to Jesus, who was called the Christ. No attributing and Joseph fathered Jesus. Now Joseph, no, he adopts Jesus. He fathers them that way. But he, he does not father him DNA-wise. So who's Jesus' father? That leaves the hanging. Well, who fathered Jesus? Who's his father? And Matthew doesn't have to say it because if you're familiar with the Old Testament, you've already met Jesus' father, God the Father, and God the Son together. And you can live in his kingdom, which is why Jesus, it's what he brings, it's what he preaches, it's what he is, because he is also the second thing we see about Jesus. He is the son of David, which means he's the king forever. So these are the two, there are two giant names in this list that you must know, David and Abraham. And these are the two people in the Old Testament that God has made these giant sweeping promises to. Now, right now, uh, in, the last, in the last half of 2018, there was this uber popular preacher in Atlanta, Annie Stanley, and he has said, if we want Christianity to survive, if we want to be relevant, if we want to be effective at reaching the lost, that we need to unhitch ourselves from the Old Testament. Do not ever do such a thing. The only way we can really understand who Jesus is is by knowing the Old Testament, that he is the Christ, the Messiah, a Hebrew concept. That he is the son of David, Old Testament reality. That he is the son of Abraham, Old Testament reality. Jesus is hitched to the Old Testament, the fulfillment of all of it. And that's what we need. One who will fulfill the Old Testament for us. And so from Matthew's perspective, this is who Jesus is, son of David. And he grabs this promise from God made to David in 2 Samuel. And look at what the Lord tells David, King David in 2 Samuel, when your time comes and you rest with your fathers, when you die, I will raise up after you your descendant who will come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name and I will establish, this is key, the throne of his kingdom forever. Now Solomon does some of this. He builds the temple. But Solomon does not have a throne that lasts forever. 
What the prophet tells David and tells us is he tells us, watch the throne. Because there will be one, someone on a throne who will reign forever. And it's the one who has a name above every name. The one who will be king of kings and lord of lords and prince of peace. And his name is Jesus. So when Matthew tells you the son of David is here, now you have a king forever, Israel. And now you have a king forever. Rome won't rule over Israel forever. But even bigger than that, there will be a ruler who has no end. And we must treat Jesus as such. As royalty, as a king. That's why Herod wants baby Jesus found and rubbed out. Because he knows I have trouble if these prophecies are true about this son of David born in Bethlehem. And today, China is putting pastors in prison and bulldozing churches. Why? Because they're terrified of pastors? No. They're terrified of Jesus. Because the gospel is subversive. The gospel flips flips things upside down. China can continue to do that today. Other countries have tried to do it as well. But a day will come when the tables are turned and a bigger bulldozer rolls down from the sky. Christmas is a royal invitation to join the kingdom of God today, to join the kingdom of heaven today, to believe the gospel of the kingdom of Christ, the Messiah, Christ, the son of David for you. So listen, beloved, we, can, we enthrone Christ. We say he's, he's on the throne. He's the king. And if he's on the throne, if there's an enthronement ceremony, then what we all desperately need today is a dethronement ceremony. You being dethroned. You crawling off of the throne of your life and saying, Christ, that is your seat. No longer my way. No longer my ideas of doing things. No longer, well, I know the Bible says that, but man, this is what I really think I need or want or must accomplish. No, if Jesus is the king forever, it means he's king now. Son, if we want him as our Messiah, you take him as your king. And if we know that Jesus is the king forever, we also must see that he is the king for all, the son of Abraham. This is the last major name in in this list, the son of Abraham. And this last major piece highlights the promise made to Abraham back in Genesis 12, where God tells Abraham, from your offspring will come a seed, it will be a, a child born, and it will be a blessing to all nations. Not just Jews, but all nations, all people. The gospel has always been a call to all. And this reminds us that Jesus does not look like a uh, typical painting of Jesus. Baby Jesus didn't have blonde curly hair and blue eyes. Baby Jesus looks like the typical Jewish baby. Jesus the teenager, Jesus the man, Jesus the risen king, he looks like a Jewish man. He does not look like our paintings. And this reminds that Christianity isn't a white man's religion. It's not a Western religion. It's, it's not confined to any place. In fact, when you evangelize people and you're with your family and they, you talk about Jesus and say, oh, that's just a Western religion. No, it sprang out of the Middle East. And we worship a man that was born in the backwoods of the Middle East. And as we'll see next week, 
You probably know, but Jesus was born in a humble, less than ideal, embarrassingly low conditions for a king. And that's why he's a king of the people. Jesus was not born with a silver spoon in his mouth. He was born with cow dung molecules in the air. The setting so disheveled because he is a savior of people whose lives are disheveled. He connects with us on so many levels. And I know you may think, I'm not the kind of person Jesus wants. The things I've done, the things I've thought, the things I've gone through, I am not the kind of person Jesus came to save. But Christmas says, no, you are. Because as you heard the genealogy, did you notice the women that were mentioned? Now, this isn't totally unheard of to have women mentioned in a genealogy, but it's unusual, especially if you're trying to boost up the hype of a would-be king. Because especially the history of these women. Look at the women. Tamar, verse 3, mentioned. Rahab, verse 5. Ruth, verse 5. And Uriah's wife, who we know as Bathsheba, verse 6. Beloved, if you know your Old Testament, all of these women are wrapped in scandal. Tamar seduces her own family. Rahab is a prostitute. Ruth What's wrong with Ruth? She was pretty aggressive with Boaz. I think think Ruth left out some details. But on top of that, she's a Moabite. She's an outcast. She's from the other side of the tracks where Jewish people, uh, we don't want to deal with that. Uriah's wife doesn't even mention her name, Bathsheba. But I think Matthew does that on purpose. You read this and you should think Uriah's wife and you should go, whoa, he went there. Did he just go there? I mean, this is a real housewives type moment. Did you just say what I think you said? I said what I said. Uriah's wife. By saying Uriah's wife, Matthew reminds us Bathsheba and David had an affair while David was on the throne and David had Uriah's wife, David had Uriah, Bathsheba's husband, killed. David says, I'm not gloss, or Matthew says, I'm not glossing over what happened with David and Bathsheba and Uriah's wife. Sinful men and women are listed here. Beloved, this is Jesus' family. This is his family. This is the account that he lays out for us as we begin the journey of meeting the Messiah King. You do not include this if you're trying to have a propaganda document. You include this if it's real. Because Jesus isn't some pod person that just showed up out of the sky. He has a body. He has a family. He has skin and bones. These are the kinds of people Jesus came for. These are the kinds of people Jesus isn't embarrassed to know. These are the kinds of people that he came, he came to be their king. He came to be their Messiah and yours too. And listen, you may be so embarrassed by your family history. You didn't have this kind of upbringing or you didn't have this or that. You grew up in church or, or you didn't grow up in church. You have no spiritual heritage. You come from a broken home and there's some kind of scandal in your family history. Right here, Jesus says, I'm acquainted with that too. 
But know this, no matter what's in your family history, it doesn't hinder God's grace in your life. Because Jesus came and walked amongst people just like this. Because Jesus is a king of grace. He is a king of mercy. His genealogy preaches it. He came from, these are, these are his human origins. And he came to save people with lives so messed up, with scandals and scoundrels and liars and cheats and murderers just like this. And that may be a part of your family history, but it doesn't define you. You know what defines you now? If you are in Christ, the Messiah, who is the son of David and who is the son of Abraham. And all three of these titles collide at the end of the gospel of Matthew because he is the one who saves and he is the son of David who was put on a cross and he was nailed to a cross and there was a sign written above his cross, King of the Jews, a king like the son of David. And it was written in three languages, Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic. So everybody in the, in the vicinity could walk by and understand that sign is the first gospel track written so the son of Abraham would be available for all. And there at Calvary, the Messiah, the son of David, son of Abraham is lifted up so that all could see and believe and that you could be defined by him. Christmas now defines you. Easter now defines you. Not your family, not your past, but your future and present in Christ. Beloved, Christmas is for sinners. Christ is for sinners. The Messiah is for sinners. So Merry Christmas. Praise the Lord. Let's pray together. Thank you for listening. To find out more information about our church, visit us at makingmuchofjesus.org.